Would you pray with me? We're back in Mark. We're back in Mark. If you want to start turning now, Mark 2.18. Mark 2.18. God, we love you. We welcome you here this morning. We trust you this morning. We believe that you love to be present among us. We believe that you want to you grace us with your presence. You want to teach us. You want to grow us. God, we believe that you care about our hearts this morning. And that you're really, your, your main goal today is to get after the heart of each individual in this room. And so we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we are back in our series creatively entitled Mark as we go verse by verse through the gospel according to Mark. Here's a question. You ever get to a scripture and you're like, I don't get it, and you move on? Anybody? Let's, okay, we, thank you. Here we go. All right, in the back. Thank you, thank you. We call this a hot church. Okay, it's hot church. Humble, open, teachable. Which means when we got mess, when we got stank, we just admit it. We just come, we bring the stank, everybody feels the stank, and we go, okay, we're all stank together, okay? So, so this is where we're at. Some of us get to a scripture, and we're like, wow, that's confusing, and we just move on. Instead of going in and dissecting and figuring out what the context is, what the culture is, what's going on, why Jesus is saying that, maybe Jesus wraps it up in a metaphor that is like not of this century, and so we just go, okay, I assume that's pretty spiritual, I'm going to move on. And you move on from the scripture, all right? And if you're honest, that's a place that most of us are in. And that happens to be our scripture this morning. I'll admit, as a pastor who has went through Bible school, I would get to the scripture and go, eh, okay. And then, whoop, I just, I just flip with it, okay? So I'm, I'm humble, open, teachable, hope, hopefully as well. Um, here's the thing, hot church. The reason we go verse by verse through a book of the Bible is not so that we could skip over the hard stuff. It's so that we could really buy into the hard stuff. The Bible says about itself that all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness or right with Godness. Therefore, when we get to a scripture like this, we know it's useful. We know that God can use it. So like little spiritual archaeologists, we're supposed to blow off the dust of our own preconceived notions, blow off the dust of our, our own misconceptions, you know, kind of brush away our, our confusion, our, our lack of context. And what we come up with is like this beautiful God-breathed artifact that might be life-changing uh, toward the direction of our desire to know Jesus deeper. So, so we go in. Let me go in. We get, we get the tools. We, we study together in community. We get commentaries. We, we do what it takes to go in to find out what is Jesus saying. And so that's what we're going to do together as a community today. Again, we're in Mark 2.18. Mark 2.18. If you can read this along with me. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, here's where it gets kind of confusing, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they fast in that day. Here Jesus goes talking about bridegrooms and fasting. And I'm just going to be honest, in in my first read of the scripture, I'm like, so they fast when the groom is not there? Is this them, like, denying the cocktail weenies and the cheese and crackers until the groom gets back? Like, what's going on here, Jesus? Like, even, even seminary students in the room, are, they can pretend like they know what they're talking about. But, but you're thinking, what's going on here, Jesus? Now, here's the thing about fasting in this time. It's done for very specific reasons, and very specific people do it for very specific reasons. Most people, if you're a godly person, what they would use is a God-fearing person. That's the terminology they would use, people who fear God. Most people would just fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then you had the special holy rollers, like John's disciples, who some people thought fasted every Monday 
and every Thursday. That sounds hungry to me, okay? That doesn't sound holy, it sounds hungry. But this is, this is what they did. And they fasted for, again, very specific reasons. All right, so, so one of those reasons would be sorrow for the dead. Sorrow for the dead. So really to compound your misery, to compound your pain, to show God how humbled you are in that minute, and in, in that moment, in that minute, you would compound that sorrow by, by fasting more. The next one would be to mourn your own sin and to avert the wrath of God. So you're like, okay, I'm a mess. I can either let God humble me or I can humble myself before he gets to me. So let me avert the wrath of God and let me humble myself. Another reason would be to petition God for the removal of unintentional sin in a household. So like your son does something, you're like, ooh, that wasn't, I, w- I wouldn't have done that, God, but my son did it, so let me get this out by, by fasting. Notice all of these reasons, all these reasons, leave you looking kind of a mess on, 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 in the morning. Like when I fast, you know, they, t- they tell you to put on, you know, some oil on your face to make it look like you're not fasting, but, but I'm cranky. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm, I'm cranky and hungry at the same time. Right? I'm hangry. I'm, I'm angry and hungry at the same time. My wife knows it. She's like, man, you need a Snickers. Like, and and Jesus is, here's Jesus' point. Jesus' point is, this is a celebration. Jesus is here. Jesus is doing something new. It's not time for sackcloth and ashes and, and mourning and, and, and your, your, your face is downcast. It's not, it's not time for any of that. Like, how would you like to be the generation that gets to see Jesus face to face? He's there doing miracles, turning the water into wine at the wedding. He's there raising people from the dead. I'd love to be there. For that. I'd pay any number of money to be there to see Jesus face to face. So Jesus' point is, like, this is what's going on. God is doing something new. Stop fasting. Now, the bridegroom will leave, and then we'll miss him, and we'll need to mourn to get him back. We'll need to empty ourselves to find him again. But, but for now... God is doing something new. We need to look at fasting a bit different. I guess if he was saying it in a contemporary term, like every party has a pooper and you're it. Jesus wouldn't say that. That's something I would say. All right, verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth. Same idea on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. All right, again, most of us, not most of us, but many of us don't sew. And if we are sewing, it's not going to be sewing some giant patch onto a holy shirt, unless we're doing some sort of new thing. Like, I can't keep up. Maybe something called quilting or something. You quilting, bro? I don't know. Or you, I don't know. But it, we don't usually do this. So, so here we're left going, Jesus, what are you talking about? What he's saying is new fabric is new. It's strong. The old fabric is old, and so if you, if you put the new on the old, it stretches too far and it breaks. Same concept with the wineskin, which always trips me up. But no one puts new wine into old wineskin. And if he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So new wine emits gas, and it ferments. And when it does, the old wineskins, which are already stretched to their limit, are going to tear. Here's what he's saying in all three metaphors. The old, the old is gone, and the new has come, and the new doesn't fit with the old. That's it. Very simple. Three metaphors. The new does not fit with the old. Would you do me a favor this morning, because this is a very important point to us this morning. It's the main point. Uh, Tell somebody the new doesn't fit with the old. Go ahead. Tell somebody next to you. Okay. I mean, that was kind of good. Tell them this time, like, you're disgusted that they would think the new fit with the old. Just tell, like, the new doesn't fit. Just tell them again. Like, new doesn't fit with the old. Like, you're mad at them. I don't know why you would think that. I don't know why you would show up to church thinking that the new fits with the old. I have... 
I have a new way of drinking coffee and an old way of drinking coffee. And for the two non-coffee drinkers in the room, you know, there's always a few of them. I drink Herba Mate tea. Okay, good for you. We're all proud of you. Um, for, for those two folks, let me, let me break down what it means to be a coffee drinker and go through progression from old to new. The progression is like you start with super sugary, super creamy stuff, right? So um, I first fell in love with coffee when I went to Puerto Rico on a missions trip. Uh, and I didn't like coffee, but on a missions trip, you just eat and drink whatever they give you, right? So if they're like, eat the head of an egret, you're like, okay, sure, like, post-decapitation, it's staring at me, but that's fine, we'll, we'll do it for Jesus, and you just do what they tell you to do. Um, and so they gave me coffee, I'm like, this is bitter, I don't want it, but I'll drink it, and I'll smile about it. And I didn't, I didn't know that cafe con leche in, in Puerto Rico meant 75% milk and sugar and 25% coffee. I'm like, y'all could do this. Like, I, this, is, this is a thing I could do every morning because sugar's shooting through my veins. We're putting up a wall, and I'm like, here we go, you know? Uh, and so I, I decided I like this. And so for years, I drank a little bit of coffee with my cream and sugar. Uh, and my wife did the same. We used to do this thing when we got married called candy coffee. Um, and that's when you have a cup of coffee, you put a scoop of ice cream in it, uh, caramel drizzle on top, and, and whipped cream. This was, this was like a Monday, guys. And like, it was, it was Monday, and we're really cranky. We're like, let's put some sprinkles on. Let's put some sprinkles on, you know? A cherry. So we did candy coffee for years. Now I've kind of progressed to the point where I have a little bit of cream and a little bit of sugar. And if I go to one of them hipster joints where they like, you know, do the pour over thing, and it takes them 20 minutes, uh, I'll drink that black, right? Because they'll look at you like you're crazy if you ask for sugar. Like, are you, excuse me, did you see my pour over? Uh, so, you know, I'll drink it black just to please those folks. And I like it black. I like it like that. So this is my new way of drinking coffee. Some of y'all have went through this progression. I saw a graph the other day. I can't, I'm not going to put the graph up. Um, but it, it's like you start off with mostly cream and sugar. Then you go to mostly coffee. Then you go to black. Uh, and then you go to black with, like, espresso shots. Right, this is the, progress, the progression. Then you just start eating coffee beans. Eventually, you just hook up an IV, you walk around with an IV station. Like, that's the natural progression. So the other day, I'm at, I'm at Dunkin' Donuts, uh, and I forget to tell the lady, look, the, I'm already getting like marshmallow coffee. It doesn't need cream and sugar, because like, the flavoring's already in it. I forget to tell her that. She puts cream and sugar on top of the flavoring in. I was so disgusted. I, 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 walked, I waited to walk out, and then I didn't drink it. But see, what was once normal to me in the old was disgusting to me in the new. It was abhorrent in the new. So what was once like my every single day with candy coffee is now unbearable to me in the new. It makes sense, because the new doesn't fit with the old. Like, you don't bring a brand new car to a classic car rally. Your favorite brand new drink, you don't, you don't put that in an old, dirty cup. You know, when you're dressing up a Victorian house, you don't put a postmodern couch in there. It does, the old doesn't fit with the new. The new doesn't fit with the, with the old. So I think we get the point, right? The new doesn't fit with the old. That's what Jesus is trying to say. But what's he mean when he says the new does not fit with the old? What is the new and what is the old? Now, this is where you, we can go to seminary together. We can go to Bible college together. He's talking about the old and the new covenant, the old and the new covenant. So if you're new to church, let me just break this down real quick. The word covenant, uh, is, is, it comes from the Hebrew word barith. Can you all say barith? One, two, three. Barith. Uh, and that word just means God promise, God treaty. Okay? 
So his, his new treaty, his new promise versus old promise. Now, when God makes a promise, he keeps it, but it doesn't mean we do. So when I'm talking about the problems of the, co- of the old covenant versus the new covenant, it's not because God made a mistake. The Father was always after our heart. He didn't make a mistake. It's the way that we responded to his, his covenant, his promise. And what he's saying is, the old is no more. It's not abolished. It's been fulfilled with the entire plan of God. But it's no more. Which is why last week we talked about righteousness. You can't be right with God by bringing your own righteousness. You can't manufacture righteousness. That's the old way of doing things. The new way of doing things is Jesus dies for you. He fulfills the entire covenant. He resurrects and he brings righteousness to you. Now you're righteous in him by nothing that you did, but by everything that he did. It's a brand new covenant. Same with fasting. He's like, now we got new eyes. Now we know why we're really fasting. Now we know why we're really doing the Sabbath. Next week is the Sabbath. Jesus is going on a tangent because he wants us to know the the, the old is gone and the new has come. And so we're going to spend three weeks here too because the old paradigm has to go. And here's been my prayer all week. Because we live in a performance-based culture, a high-performance-based culture, we're very susceptible to living in the old covenant. Very susceptible. We're very susceptible to turning that performance toward God and trying to please him, and it turns into competition. It turns into shame. It turns into God not being a father anymore, but he's more of a boss that's going to fire you if you screw up. We're very susceptible to this. My prayer this morning and all week has been, heal us. Set us free. So your prayer is, like, be yourself. If you're susceptible to this, if you're living in the old covenant right now, Ask God to set you free this morning. Come up to the prayer station. Ask God to set you free. We'll talk about all the ways that you're susceptible to that and, and all the, 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 the environments that you grew up in that make you susceptible to that. Um, but, but let's talk about the old covenant first. Um, the old covenant. We'll explain that and where it came from. And I want to explain that by talking about uh, good parenting versus bad parenting. I have good parenting moments and bad parenting moments. I'm going to give you one bad parenting moment. Uh, and then I'll give you my father's good parenting moment for the new covenant. And again, I'm not saying that God is a bad father. I'm saying that God set a, set a really good covenant forth, and we responded to it with, with, with our sin, okay? Uh, so we started this thing. It's called kindness points with my kids because my kids, are they just fight over everything. The other day, we're walking to school. It's way too early. We're walking to school. It's like three-quarters of a mile. My son's legs are like this big, and so he's like, he's always cranky. Uh, I'm like, just take some Gatorade and move, kid. Uh, and, th- and they're fighting over sidewalk real estate. They're like one inch wide. Like the, the sidewalk is this big. And they're like, I want this. Spot. I'm like, oh my gosh, guys, I can't, I can't take this. Like they're just, they can be so, so hard on each other. And we just, this is what we want to teach them. Be good to each other. Be good to people. Every morning I drop them off. I give them a kiss. I say, I love you so much. Be good to people. It's the same speech every morning. Be good to people. I know, Dad. Be good to people. Well, they know, though, that I'm saying, like, you just need to learn to be good to people. Everything else will, like, if, if you follow Jesus, just be good to people. Everything's in a form of place, right? And so this is, my, this is my speech to them. We're doing this thing called kindness points, where if, you, if you're kind to each other, you get points. All right, you get points. And you store up those points, and you get ice cream, or you get this weird putty that, that they want, some silly putty. I don't know. It's weird. And they make it by themselves. It's weird. It's like a science project. And so they want this. And so they're doing this thing, right? And they're leaning in. And 
I take my daughter on a date the other day, and, and we're, we're, we're at the Newport Mall. She's super cute. She's like, Daddy, it's date day. Get the milkshake. I'm like, okay. Right? She's like, I love you. Get the milkshake. So I'm getting the milkshake. She says, you know what? We should get JD, my son, some bubble tea. I'm like, oh, sweetheart. That is amazing. She says, well, I just want the kindness points. <laughs> right. That's an old covenant light bulb, isn't it? And this is how we respond to God. This is an old covenant light bulb. The meditations of her heart were not to be kind to her brother. The meditations of her heart were performance-based. They were to, and this is, this is not her fault. She's eight, right? It's to earn something from the father. It's to earn something from the father's hand. And what that leads to in our family, has led to lately, is competition, anger when they don't get the points, Right? Sometimes they don't feel like they're living up and they, they, they cry about, about not living up. It's a normal kid, right? And, and this is how we respond to them. This is, this is what smells like the old covenant. Um, it leads to us being... Look, God doesn't care. We, we talked about this like the past three weeks. God doesn't care about the results above the heart. He cares about what's in the heart. First and foremost, God is a father chasing after your heart. And so if the motivations behind your good act are not good, then the act is not good. God didn't want this to lead to us being competitive, shame-driven, performance-based, uh, going through moral therapy. Like That's when we fear, feel good, when we're really moralistic. He didn't want this. The Father was just after our heart. Let, let me start with Abraham. We'll go back to how God sets the tone for this old covenant. Again, Abram turns to eventually Abraham. Genesis 17 says this, and I will establish my covenant, there's the word breathe, between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. It's an, it's an eternal promise to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So good. Here's the treaty, here's the promise. Just obey me, just follow me. I'll be your God, you be my people. It's going to be amazing. And it is an amazing covenant. Like if we just obeyed him, and we didn't start worshiping golden calves, and we didn't start sinning like three minutes later, then this covenant would have really went well. It's not a bad, it's not a covenant problem. It's an us problem. This is, and this is the same language throughout the Old Testament. Exodus 6-7. Six, six, I will take you to be my people. I'll be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is Ezekiel. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. It's, it's good possession. One more for good measure. But this command I gave them, stick with me, Jeremy. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all all the way that I command you, that, I, that it may be well with you. Like, I'm, I'm a good father. I'm setting up good boundaries. I'm setting up good guardrails. These are not prison bars. If you obey me, you're going to be safe. You're going to avoid disease and bad relationships, and, and you're going to be in my will, and it's going to be good. I'm the father. I love your heart. I'll take care of you. That's a good father. That's a good covenant. I tell my kids, you know, don't use the baseball bat to hit your sister. Use it to hit a baseball. Like, it's a good it's a good thing that I do. Stop playing with fire. Don't jump off the counter without a helmet. It's a good thing. It's good fathering. But when there's good fathering, there's always 
the chance for the son, the daughter, to, to wander or to misinterpret what the father's saying. Um, to misinterpret kindness points as I need to perform to be loved. Of course I love my kids, whether they earn one kindness point or seven billion. Unconditional. Of course the father loves us. He does not want this to become performance-based. He did not want to be performance treaty. But this covenant becomes an entire theology. An entire theology that some people still live under today. An entire theology that even followers of Jesus who are supposed to be living in a new covenant still live in the old covenant because their heart is full of shame, performance, competition. They have burdens upon their back that God never meant them to have. Now, of course, Jesus and God saw that in the Old Testament there was going to be murder, deceit, adultery, spiritual adultery, but all these things were above the surface and they were a result of what was below the surface. Below the surface, what he cares about was legalism, worship of moral therapy, behavior modification, the fight to please God by earning his love and earning his care, anger, striving, pulling. People were tired. There's a good chance today you're tired. You don't even like being a follower of Jesus because you're tired. You're tired of performing for other Christians. You're tired of performing for God. And I promise you, you're living under the old covenant. This is not the motion that God set the world into. Again, first and foremost, God is a God after the heart. And the old covenant was setting up a rigid, cold heart culture, hardened, callous relationship with God based on risk reward, based on stars on your spiritual chart. And God became less of a loving father and more of an angry boss. And that's, what, that's not what God wanted. And so here's where God institutes the new covenant. Now, the new covenant is not an abolishment of the old law. It's not. It's a fulfillment. That God wanted, wanted the trajectory to end up at this pinnacle where Jesus dies for us and resurrects for us, and now we have a brand new light to look things uh, in the eye. Some of you are more susceptible than others. Some of you are more susceptible than others to the old covenant. I just want to put up three ways that you could be more susceptible, uh, and you can just find out this morning, am I more susceptible to this? Uh, maybe you have old covenant parents who institute things like my kindness points on steroids. <laughs> they were never proud of you. They never looked you in the eye and said, I love you, I'm proud of you, no matter what you do. After you sinned, they never said, let's talk about this. What's, what's going on in your heart? Why did you get there? They just simply grounded you for seven months or took away your car. They never said, well, how, what's going on in, in you? And so you're more susceptible to living this way because that's how you see your earthly parents, therefore that's how you see your father in heaven. Old covenant. Uh, old covenant culture. There are entire cultures that are based on performance, um, that are based on guilt and shame, uh, holding things over your head, uh, and, and the only way anybody's going to like you in the entire culture, at the shop, at your school, at your home, is if, you perf if you're a student, uh, if you're superstar in whatever sport, if you, if you can play the saxophone better than, the only way you're going to be loved is based on your performance. That's an old covenant culture. Some of you grew up in an old covenant church where everything was the devil. 
a lady literally told me once, uh, dancing is the devil. I said, why is dancing the devil? Because there are sexual gyrations going through your body. I'm like, lady, you haven't seen my dancing. <laughs> uh, that's not the case. It was the devil. Bart Simpson. Oh, my goodness, Bart Simpson was the devil. Why? I don't know. Talk back to his parents. He's the devil, right? Like, the devil got around back then, didn't he? He's like everywhere. Uh, your tattoo artist was the devil with tattoos. Who was going to put a devilish tattoo on? Like, these are, the, these are the churches that we grew up in. Where if you didn't put on your Sunday best, if you didn't put on this mask of Christianity, where you were all put together, where you never sinned, and if you sinned, it was in secret. If you sinned, it was kept from your small group. If you sinned, it was kept from your Wednesday night prayers, prayer service. This is the culture that was created around your church, and you never felt good enough for Jesus. Can you just be honest with yourself this morning? Be honest with yourself, because then it'll help Jesus heal you from the inside out. Is this you? Maybe you went a little bit deeper. Maybe you were constantly verbally abused, and yet it was still your fault. Maybe you were physically abused, and it was still your fault. And so everything is your fault. And when you walk into the presence of God, you don't walk into the presence of God and go, I need you, Daddy. I need you, Father. I need you to help me. I love you. You go into the presence of God going, do you even love me? Do you care? Are you watching? Am I good enough? And these are your prayers to God. Do you you care for my heart? Do you care for my soul? Do you care for my well-being? These are your prayers to God. And look, old covenant people, they answer those questions for themselves. It's such a vicious cycle. You answer the question for God. And then you get mad at God. So you say, am I good enough? And then you answer for him. And you go, I'm not good enough. And then you go, God, how can I not be good enough? And you just go through this vicious, this is the devil, vicious devilish cycle where you're never good enough. God doesn't love you. And you walk around with this burden on your back trying to be a good Christian. Ah, you're going to die that way. Like, let's let the weight come off. You're going to die that way. That's, that's old covenant. That's why these people, next verse, this is a verse from the beginning that like now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came to him and said, why do John's disciples and the disciples, Pharisees fast, but your disciples not fast? How come you're not performing? Where's your disciples at? How come they're not fasting? How come they're not good enough? And Jesus shuts it down with three metaphors in a row. I want to end with new covenant this morning and hopefully we can be set free a little bit this morning. Um, you know, the new covenant, I, I want to describe with two F words, and I promise I won't cuss at you this morning. Uh, two F words, from and for. From and for, okay? I want you to stop living for Jesus. And I know that may sound like I'm a heretic, okay? But stop living for Jesus and start living from Jesus. Here's the difference. If you're living for Jesus, it's, it's you're doing things to get his approval, If you're living from Jesus, it's because he's already done it. He's already represented your value. He already considers you son or daughter, loves you unconditionally, and you live from that love. You live as a response from that love, from and for. So I'll give you an example of from and for. And really it's about the word deserve, what you deserve. Because in the from category, you're living out of the, the, the idea that you don't deserve anything, but Jesus gives you everything. In the for category, you're earning what you deserve, Okay? So, um, some of you guys know part of my testimony. I'm not going to give my entire testimony for, for the time here. Um, but I was not a good kid. <laughs> um, 
at the time that, that this happened, I was selling drugs, I was using drugs, and I was throwing parties, drinking and, and smoking weed like maybe three, four nights a week, okay? Skipping school, doing these things. I also had a girlfriend, and we were living like we were married, okay? Um, so I was not living for Jesus. My father was an associate pastor at that time. Now, uh, I sinned smart, okay? My sister was a, a not-so-great sinner. I tell her this all the time. She, Justin never got in trouble. Well, because you were not smart in the way that you sinned. I was very smart. Uh, I was very charismatic and charming. And I could talk my mother, you know, out of anything. So that's, that's, that, that's how I sinned smart. And uh, this time it was kind of getting to my family because I was in the paper. So I threw a party. Um, and this all happened in like three weeks. I threw a party and somebody got beat up until they were in a vegetative state. Uh, and I was, in the, I was in the paper the, the next day as the kid who threw the party. Everybody, the whole city wondered, how does this 18-year-old kid get all this beer, you know, two kegs? So I'm that guy. This was after getting in a fight. Uh, and this was after failing my driving test, which was just kind of annoying on top of it. Um, and so my father asked me to come into the kitchen. Now picture being a father here. He could get fired for his son. It's very easy in the church to get fired for your son being in jail. He can get fired. So I'm thinking dad is going to fire, you know, he's going to fire me. (laughs) Um, And what I deserved was for him to yell at me. Right? Parents in the room, you're thinking, yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's all sorts of, you're getting creative with your discipline at this point. (laughs) You're like, uh, do we create, create a dungeon? We put him in the dungeon? Like, what's going on here? Uh, and my father says, son, how you doing? And just the question, that he, he didn't condemn me. He just asked me, how are you doing? And I said, not good. I said, not good. And he said, can, can, I, can I hug you and pray for you? Everybody's parents are, are not perfect. They're not Jesus-like. But in that moment, my dad was so much like Jesus the Holy Spirit filled him, and he was, there, there couldn't have been a moment more like Jesus. He didn't mention my sin. He didn't talk about the fact that I, was, I put him in danger of getting fired. He didn't mention it at all. Let me pray for you, he says. And he prayed for my heart. He said, I don't, know, I don't know what's going on with my son right now. I know high school's hard, and he's trying to fit in, and I know these things, and I just, I just want you to come and be a part of his life. Do you think my life changed after that? And it wasn't because I was earning anything. It's because Jesus gave me what I didn't deserve. And I was living from Jesus instead of for Jesus. And then after that, like after you live from Jesus, you can live for Jesus. After that, I decided to become a pastor. I decided to give my my life, my heart, everything to Jesus. But it was after I knew how to live from Jesus first. New covenant. New covenant. Guys, this is what separates us from every, every other religion. Every other religion has a God that you have to pl- earn their favor, please. And even sec- sex, S-C-C-T-S, of our religion, you have, to, you have to earn this God's... This is what separates us. We live in new freedom, in the new covenant, and we live our life as a response. Worship team, come up here.
Maybe you're falling in love with Jesus for the first time today, because that's who Jesus is. The God who no matter what you did, he died for. No matter what you've done and what you're going to do, he died for. And you can live in forgiveness, and you can live in freedom. Uh, So why don't you pray with me today? Pray with me, and we'll, we'll thank God for that, and maybe you can respond in a certain way. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you love us in spite of us, that you corner us in the kitchen not to condemn us, not to tell us what we deserve, but to give us what we don't deserve. Thank you that you're a God who has heart eyes. You see our heart. You care about our heart. And you set up a brand new covenant to get after the heart of the child. We want to live as sons and daughters and not just from the mouth, but from our heart. So I pray for the people in this room who have lived in the wrong culture, in the wrong family. They're not the wrong family, but they lived in that old covenant family that was really hard on them. And they lived in a really hard church environment who wasn't representing you. I pray for those folks. And for everybody else who was abused in some way, in some way shape, or form. pray that you would heal us this morning. I pray that you would bring us freedom. God, I always find myself asking you, am I good enough? And that means I'm still struggling with this. God, would your presence just minister to the room right now? Just minister to the room. Speak to people. Speak to the stubborn. (laughs) Speak to the performer. Speak to the the ritual person who just has to do things out of ritual instead of out of love and, and romance with you. We love you and we ask that you set us free this morning in Jesus' name.